Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Growing Woman podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh, and I am so excited that you're here with me again for another wonderful show. And this week, we have an incredible interview. I am so, so excited about this interview, you guys. Um, This week, I'm interviewing Madeline Pratt, and Madeline is actually one of the people who inspired me to return back to this show after I took a hiatus. Um, And that hiatus was really based around a lot of fear that I had. And so um, I get into how she and I met and how she inspired me. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Madeline before we dive into the show. So uh, Madeline is the CEO and founder of Fearless in Training. She is a storyteller and, and coach with a huge passion for helping small businesses. Um, and Fearless in Training is a six-figure creative consultancy. And she's also the founder of Women Talk Money. The first ever online community for women in finance. In addition to leading her team and her clients, she's a content creator that loves to bring new ideas to life and share stories with others. This episode is pure fire. She is uh, incredible. Madeline dives into her story and her history, and I really, truly want to have her back on the show to talk more about her business because uh, her content and just the way she has approached her life is beautiful. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. I also want to mention that I'm just so grateful for everyone listening. I have gotten the most incredible feedback on the show. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for spreading the word about this show. I am just so grateful for everything you guys are doing to just uplift each other and uplift women's stories and women's voices. That is the whole point of this. So thank you so much. Um, We're going to dive into Madeline's interview and enjoy this episode of the show. Thanks, everyone. Madeline, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm so excited, too. I've been looking forward to this all day. Yes, me too. Um, So we met through Trisha Tate and her event, Power Her Financials. Uh, and you were leading one of the round tables that I so happened to be in. And I came back to your room at the end of the um, event because I was like, oh, I really enjoyed Madeline's round table. And you were talking about um, money mindsets and prosperity, um, which I definitely want to get into because as you can see, I have purchased the soul of money, which you recommended. That's a good one. <laughs> so, and you spoke about in that round table. Um, but what happened the second time I came into that roundtable was that uh, former guest Nina Guilford was also there, and she had a beautiful moment of vulnerability in that roundtable. And she shared where she was in life, and um, you had a beautiful moment of vulnerability as well where you could relate to her and you could relate to being in a space um, where you were questioning a lot of what was going on in your life too. And that moment and the moment of sparking vulnerability in each other sparked that moment in myself. And I absolutely realized, oh my God, this is what I love to do. Because you said, when you find something you love, it feels like flow Mm -hmm. and it feels like you could do it all day. Mm -hmm. And I just remember writing down in my notes, this feels like flow, Mm -hmm. like this moment. And so I reached out to Nina and we talk every week now. 
<laughs> and I reached I out to it. you and I had to share that moment with you. And so here we are now. And so I wanted to talk to you about your experience in that moment. And then yeah. I also wanted to get into your background and who you yeah. are and your journey. Um, I would love to hear your perspective of that moment as well. Yeah. You know, so I, it's really interesting because in my journey, I, I experience moments like this a lot and I see them as what I call like signs along the path. It's, it's these moments that like call out this higher purpose in us of, of recognition of like, Oh, this is right where I'm supposed to be right now. And yeah, for, for, for whatever reason, you know, my life experience has led me down a series of events that, um, that are low points that, that women can relate to and women have experienced themselves, you know, so I've been through a divorce. I've been through an emotionally abusive relationship. I have um, been a single mom. I have been, you know, in really hard corporate environments as a, as a woman who was facing, you know, prejudice and discrimination and all of these kind of universal moments I see as an opportunity to say, I've been there. I know what you're going through. And I think for a lot of women, um, we are kind of taught to kind of like pack those things up and just overcome them and, and not really talk about them and, um, and, you know, kind of wrap them up in a little bit of a blanket of shame and just stow them away and soldier on. And um, I think that we can't really let go the weight of those things unless we open up our stories and talk about them. And so for me personally, I lived a really long time kind of hiding those things. You know, I thought that to be successful in a corporate environment, I couldn't really show up as I was. And so, um, so it wasn't until I started sharing those things and seeing the impact it had on other women to be like, oh my gosh, you had that happen too, or you're also a single mom, or you also had a child, and recognizing that we could actually build connection and build power in our shared stories rather than seeing them as something that was disempowering or shameful even. And so that, you know, I, I I wish I could say that moment surprised me, but I have moments like that all the time because I believe that my, my purpose here is to call out a space for women to be able to to show up as their true selves in business. Um, And so I'm always, you know, finding myself in those rooms where, where women can suddenly see and share who they are. And it simply starts by being able to, to, you know, like you said, bounce that vulnerability off of each other a little bit. 100%. And it was something that just helped me realize my own purpose and wanting to amplify women's voices and stories, yeah. like exactly like you're saying, because I started this show because I felt very similar to you in that I felt like I didn't have a voice in the workplace. I wasn't being vulnerable and I felt so alone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, wait, how are all of these women around me doing all of these things? And how are they succeeding or how are they balancing life? Who taught them these Mm -hmm. things and how did they learn? Mm -hmm. Um, So I really appreciate you sharing that moment with everyone and and just now Mm -hmm. sharing that that is your purpose and and you feel so strongly about that. And I love that these things come naturally to you because it's true when you do open yourself up to those experiences, they start happening. Mm -hmm. I would love to go back to a time when you weren't opening yourself up to those experiences And I would love to know where you're from and, you know, where, you know, how you got to a space where you could do that. So where are you from first and foremost? Yeah. 
Yeah, so so I grew up um, on a small island just outside of Seattle. So it's called Bainbridge Island. And I, I like to tell people that, you know, if you've ever watched Grey's Anatomy, that ferry boat ride that they take, yes, that's over to Bainbridge Island. That's where I grew up. And so it was um it's an island about the size of Manhattan, but with like 0.02% of the population. So it's very small. Um, and it's it, you know, it's got that small town feel in a lot of beautiful ways and in a lot of challenging ways. Um, and so for me, it felt, you know, especially as an adult, when I go back there, there's a beauty in being able to go into a shop and recognizing people, you know, and running into people who are friends of your family and things like that. But as I grew up, but especially as I became a teenager, it felt very confined. Um, and, and so I very much had this sense of like, I got to get out of here. I got to get off the Island. Um, and then the funny thing is that as my life would have it, over years I've moved back and now I live 10 minutes away and so wow. my parents still live there <laughs> and we're super close there and it was just a funny turn of fate that kind of brought us back but it I've recognized now as an adult how important community is for me and and yeah. how I actually you know there's something really special about growing up in a place like that yeah so growing up in this small town what was the catalyst for you leaving and where did you go and what was your next step when you said, okay, I'm ready to move out of this space? So it was interesting. So I had, I had two paths that I had planned out. So, so I went, I was lucky enough to attend a, um, a very small high school um, called West Sound Academy, which is um, a private academy. It's focused on arts and really liberal arts and sciences. And over time, it's actually become an IB school. And almost everyone in my peer group was kind of going in one of two paths. They were either on a path towards like a, a liberal arts education, going to like a Brown or you know, insert any other liberal arts school on the East Coast, or they were going down an arts driven path. They were going mm-hmm. towards, you know, like a CalArts or some sort of creative design. And I was kind of an anomaly because by the time I had gotten to high school, I was really passionate about both. There was a side of me that was like, I'm going to become a scientist. I was really passionate about medical research. I wanted Mm -hmm. to become a pediatric oncologist. Um, And then there was also this other side of me that was really creative, loved to write, draw, paint, design. And so I kind of like stacked the the deck in both directions. I applied to design schools and I applied to um, more hard-hitting universities. And I had skipped a grade in high school. I, I had struggled a lot in middle school and always didn't feel very connected to my peer group and I was ahead academically. And so I was able to skip a grade and be a little bit more with my peers. And, but that also meant I was, I was younger than everybody. And so when graduation rolled around, I was like, you know, I'm going to take a year off or so I thought. And I, I've been writing a lot about this recently because I'm working on, on a book and I, I'm still trying to get to the root of like where this squirrely energy came from but <laughs> basically by the time I was a senior in high school I had really wrapped up the required curriculum by like halfway senior year I had kind of checked all the boxes and really was just waiting to take a series of an exams and hit graduation day to be done and there was just a restlessness in me that started getting into a lot of trouble I started acting out a lot I think it was because you know, I had up until that point, I'd kind of really fit into this kind of prescribed plan. I was, you know, a really star student. I had Mm. been a dancer. So I was like dancing five to six days a week. And I think that there was a real big desire to rebel against that. So I kind of got into 
a series of trouble, uh, you know, particularly with drugs and alcohol at the end of my senior year. And um, my parents, you know, I had this whole grand plan to go on a gap year and they were like, Mm-mm. <laughs> we yeah, don't well. think that you're in, in a position to do that right now. And so they kind of gave me two choices because I was a minor. They said, you can either go to one of the colleges you got into or you can live with us for another year. And my restless energy was like, I'm not hanging out here for another year. (laughs) And so I made my way to one of the schools I got into, which was University of Washington, which is in Seattle. And, you know, I showed up there and, and it was a really jarring experience for me because I'd come from this, you know, being this very big fish in a small pond, kind of the island I'd grown up in, the school I went to, my graduating class was like, there was 18 of us. That's how big it was. Yeah. And then I land in Utah where it's like my undergraduate class was like 20,000 students. Yeah. And so that was really jarring. It was really eye-opening. It was really beautiful in a lot of ways. It, it opened me up to, you know, meeting a whole different group of people and really starting to understand myself a lot more. Um, but I also continued down that kind of negative path. So I was still doing a lot of experimenting with drugs. I was having a lot of issues with my, just like my personal sense of self. So I was doing a lot of body harming behaviors Mm -hmm. and really, really spiraling to the point where by like, I want to, I'm trying to like do my math here, but I believe it was my sophomore year. I basically got pulled out of school for having a little bit of a nervous breakdown. And, and it was a really hard moment to be like, 18, 19, and just be spiraling really, really hard and not being able to pinpoint like, you know, uh, you know, it was because of this, it was because of this. I think it was just more of a series of expectations that I had put on myself. Right. And at the time we weren't having cultural conversations about what is anxiety, you know, and how does it infect yeah. us? Yeah. And so I now know that I'm somebody who struggles a lot with anxiety and perfectionism and that it can be really debilitating for me. And if I'm not operating and taking care of myself, that's going to come up and really affect me in a lot of ways. And so I, I believe that I was doing a lot of self-medicating mm-hmm. to overcome and you know, so I, I worked through that a little bit. I started doing some counseling. I started to get sober um, and during that time period, I met somebody else who was sober, um, who became my boyfriend. And then by the age of 19, he, he became uh, my really serious boyfriend. And then I got pregnant. And so he wow. became my husband. And so I, by the time I was a junior in college, I was married with baby. Wow. Which is like, <laughs> you pack a lot of life in there. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah. Well, I think this... Um... Two things that are coming up for me Yeah. that number one, I think as women, and we talked about this earlier, we, we don't go into the mode of, oh, this is how I'm feeling and this is what I need. It was very much based in action. And I know you're saying you're trying to understand that squirrely energy that you were feeling Mm -hmm. kind of led to that. But I also think what is so apparent in hearing your story is like you needed more resources that you just didn't know about at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm so curious, the moment that you met your boyfriend, then serious boyfriend, then husband, father of your child, and the Mm -hmm. moment that you found out you were pregnant, how did that change your life? Because I can imagine that was a very serious moment um, for you. 
It, it really was. So, so, you know, meeting him was a really interesting catalyst um, because just for context, we're, we're, we're no longer together. Um, and we'll get into that side of the story. In a yeah. <laughs> but, but for me, um, I think that what I was looking for more than anything in my life was a sense of purpose. And when I got to college, that sense of purpose like was kind of nebulous. And especially because I, you know, I had a lot of folks around me who were just a little wayward. Like they were just going to college because, you know, mom and dad told them to. They were just taking random classes. It was just one big four-year party. And for me, like I've always had to have a purpose. I'm very accomplished oriented. Um, like I love checking the boxes. Yeah. And so, so for me, I needed something like that to hold on to. And I look at, you know, my relationship with my ex-husband as, you know, being this catalyst for having my son, who I see my older son is just like, he was the power. He was the fire behind everything that came after. Yeah. And so for me, and it's interesting, I'd always known that I would be a mother. I, I, I just have had that energy. I was like, I nannied like from the second it was sort of legal, <laughs> you know, like I love being around kids. <laughs> yeah. But, but it just gave me this higher purpose, you know, for everything that I did. And it also gave me a really important filter to put the lens of my life through, to get my shit together. Because, you know, suddenly when you're like, would I want to behave this way in front of my child? Would I want to do this thing to my body? You know, if I'm pregnant or if I have a child, I'm somebody's mother now. I have to act and behave differently. And so it really accelerated my identity and involved my identity pretty quickly. Um, and there are pieces about that that were challenging too, because there was a lot of societal perception of like what it meant to be a mother or what it meant to be, you know, at the time when I was first pregnant, I was unwed. And so there was a lot of shame wrapped up in that. Um, and so I think that there were, you know, decisions I made to try and like appear a good mother by society mm-hmm. rather than by my own like right. perception. And I think that's part of being young is that you really care about what other people think or even worse, like what you think other people think 100%, about you. 100%. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I think um, also what a, what a time where you automatically have to be an adult like, yes. and you can't really compromise that. I mean, you can, but you made the decision not to, to do that. Um, and I'm so curious how your relationship evolved, um, after you had your son and, um, kind of what you were going through, because you said you had to stop a lot of the behavior that was self-destructive because you were someone's mother now, but did that lead to different behaviors that were self-destructive in other ways or, or how did you evolve after then? I, yeah. So, so, so I, by the time I had my son, I was 20. It was almost like a year to the day that I had met my husband. So in a year's time I had met, got pregnant, married, wow. had this beautiful baby boy. Um, and I pulled myself out of school for that year. Cause a, I was already ahead. So I was just like, I had time and I wanted to be just like very present. Like it was very important for me to spend that first year with my son. And, um, at first that was really beautiful because it was the first time I think ever in my life that I had like unplugged in that way. Um, but it was also very scary because it made me dependent on somebody else because he was going to provide for us or that was the precept. And, 
And um, he was somebody who, like I said, had been sober and, and had started to struggle with his sobriety later and later in my pregnancy. And that entered into this cycle that went on for years of mm-hmm. him slipping with his sobriety, you know, me and my shame, um, because I, I felt like I had a lot to prove in that situation. There were a lot of people who were already kind of, I don't want to say judging, but have, feeling a little tentative about this you know, whirlwind relationship and this brand new baby and all these things. And so in my desire to like uphold this image of like, no, this was a great life choice and we've got it all together and it's fine. I was hiding a lot of what was going on in our world, which was that he was struggling with the depths of his addiction. And I, he had for a long time prior to that, I didn't really know how deep it was until we had gotten, you know, to this, these other serious life choices. Yeah. And so I saw that all of this energy basically went into two new things, two new projects. It was my baby um, and it went into him and thinking that I could fix him, that I could, wow. you know, help him, that I could save him. And that went on for, for a couple of years. You know, I did manage to go back when my son was one and I, you know, powered my way through and I finished and I got my degree, which I was really, really important and was yeah. really proud of. And then I started right into my career because by that point I had really started to recognize this, this trap that was forming a little bit in a way. And the trap was, um, one, we were kind of stuck in poverty. He was not able to really ever make enough to do more than really get by. And so we were dependent on government assistance in order to pay Mm -hmm. for things like childcare or even food at different points. And so I started to kind of see those systems at play in my life and, I had also started to have a vision for what I wanted my life to look like. And I knew that I could not get there with his income alone. And so it was very important for me me to get a job. And then it became essential for me to make money because it was this pattern of like his paycheck would come and then suddenly the money would disappear. And as I would learn over time, it was going towards his addiction. Um, And so then my you know, real pursuit became economic empowerment for myself. Right. It became about, you know, I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. I want my son to have a beautiful life. And so, you know, there was this period where I'd gotten my first job in technology. I was, it was like a very, you know, kind of circumstantial thing. I had gotten out of school. I'd been working in research because I had a research job while I was in school. And then it was, you know, this happenstance that a former, um, former professor of mine was like, Hey, you should check out this tech company. And it was in the small town where, where I grew up. And so I got a job there, sales job, like cold calling in the basement kind of thing. Oh, I feel you. I've been there. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, you know, and it's, it's critical, right? Like it's, you, you gotta start somewhere. But I was like, you know, this is not, this is a means to an end, but I need to figure out the way out. And, and the one thing that I know that I am very good at is kind of you know, when there's a situation where there are these kind of like multitude of elements at play, I can kind of step back and see this bigger view of what's really going on here. Mm -hmm. So the job I had was, um, it was for a a software company and I was essentially cold calling people to sell that software. And what I noticed in the mix of all of that was that there were, um, there were regular opportunities like a business opportunity, but then there were also opportunities to talk to somebody who was a financial professional or a consultant or somebody who was in a position of power where they could be not just selling one version of the software, but actually referring it to all their clients. Mm. And so I recognized that 
And I got really good at seeking out and having those conversations with people. And then that got really recognized. And I had this extra level of fire underneath me, which was that like, I was like, I know that I need to make at least this much money. I think it was uh, the number at the time was like $36,000. I was like, I'd done the, the math. Yeah. And it, it started this thing, which I now teach to my coaching clients today. I call it budgeting backwards. So most of us, when we think about budgeting, we think about, I've got to make enough money to get by, right? Like this is the minimum number. And my perception was totally different. I was thinking about not this present moment, but this future state, which is this future state was, I don't want to be married anymore to this person. Mm. Um, I don't want to be financially dependent on anyone but myself. And I want to make sure that my child is cared, cared for. So that meant I had to be able to make my car payment. I had to be able to pay for some semblance of rent. I had to be able to cover childcare so I could actually go to my job. And so I built this budget backwards from, okay, I'm, I'm at this next stage where I could at least say I'm independent and Caden is cared for. And that became my laser focus. Yeah. Just getting to that. And so I worked my ass off <laughs> and and then an opportunity arose inside the company. And just as you would have it, the base salary was that number. Wow. And you best believe I worked my ass off and got that job. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly I was able to get out from under my really toxic relationship, start the process of getting divorced, slowly after a little bit of time living with my parents, move into my own place. And suddenly start to see that like I could build a life for myself. Yeah. And, you know, I quickly learned that that life was a lot more expensive than I planned because taxes, Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and so, but then I started to redo this process over and over again of setting yeah. a vision for my life, setting a financial goal around it, and then going out and getting after it. Um, yeah. yeah. I can. So thank you for sharing all of that. And yeah. I can so relate to this and I think it speaks to the fact that you're a goal oriented person and you always have yes. that vision and that vision is so important and you love those steps mm -hmm. and you, like you said, you can take a look back and um, I think it's really important for women to hear who might be in, might be or have been in situations that are similar to yours um, that one of the biggest things that's like flashing in my brain is just like economic freedom and setting yourself up for financial freedom to mm -hmm. make the decisions that you made because you mm -hmm. recognized that that was going to be pivotal in your decision-making for your son and yourself and in your marriage. Um, how long did this process take before this all happened and you stepped into that job with that goal that number that you had envisioned. Let's see. I'm, and I, it's so funny because when you have kids, you like mark the passing of time. You're like, <laughs> he was this old. So let's see. So I would say that, so Caden um, was one when I went back to school. So he was almost two when I started this job. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, it took about a year and a half to land that first role. Yeah. And then the next three to five years were, were spent moving up and up and up and up to yeah. provide better and better life and, and to chase the next version of the dream. Like, I think that's the thing that is so important too, is to like, 
you know, I need to get better about celebrating when you achieve the moment, but also to like come back and say like, is that still the dream? Do we have a new right. dream? And then to shape, shape a picture for what that was, but it took a while, you know? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that sometimes, um, well, I think it's really important to highlight the evolution of um, your journey and not everyone's journey is going to be, oh, I graduated from college, got into this job, just started going, going, going. And I think it's one of the reasons why I want to have these conversations because that certainly was not my path in just entering into a space where you just grew exponentially right away. Mm -hmm. You really worked for it and you envisioned and you moved forward in that way. When you started making these changes in your life, when you ended your marriage and you were supporting for your child and you kept upping the vision, Mm -hmm. um, what started happening in your life and how did that continue to evolve? You know, it was interesting. So, so, you know, there were a lot of things that were great. And then there was a lot of things that were not great at the same time, because on one hand, I was very driven to make these career choices and changes and to, to really up level myself financially. But, but there was also this whole other layer of work that had to be done or undone in many ways in terms of my self work. Right. I was going to ask you, what did your self care look like during this time? Oh, it was rough. <laughs> I mean, I was I was working so much, and and I was really at this point a single parent in every sense of the word because, um, you know, because of his addiction, my ex husband was in and out of the picture, and so you know, if it wasn't for my parents and other people supporting me, like I was pretty much full time, you know, either working or taking care of my son, and so I didn't have a lot of time or space for myself. Um, the one thing that I did invest in and make a point to invest in at this point was therapy um, because it was really, really important for me to sit down and sit with myself and say, you know, what was that whole experience? And why did I call a person like that into my life? And why did I allow myself to be treated like that? Why did I think that I had to save or fix somebody? Um, You know, and that that was more important than even my own care to, and, and my own well-being. Why would I let myself continue to go through that process? And so that was a really important tool for me to start kind of asking those questions and unpacking a little bit. And, and really, because I had started to see myself pull a lot of that behavior and a lot of those qualities into my attempts to form a new relationship. And so I was just attracting all of these like straight up crazy people to my life because I had not done any work on myself. And so the energy that I was putting out was really erratic. And so I was attracting people like that because I had, I was on lock over here in the work corner, but my personal work was not done. And so therapy was kind of the start of that. And then I really had to put a really conscious pause on um, dating in any way, shape or form for a while. And I, and you know, because I was really tempted to kind of fill that void with another person or another project. And, um, and it was so funny. So I went through this really conscious period of like, I'm not going to date. I'm not going to, you know, try and seek out a relationship in any way, shape or form. I'm just going to really focus on my career and like being the best mom as, that I possibly can be. Yeah. And, um, and I even remember like, I was being like so regimented and I like wrote out this list and I was like, I am not even going to look at another human <laughs> If they don't have, and it was like, it was long. It was like a whole page worth of qualities and ways of being and like 
there was some weird money mythology with my ex-husband, so I had like a credit score component. Like I had all wow. these things on there. <laughs> credit I was score. Super <laughs> it was like a bar that was so, and I wrote it believing that like if I set the bar so high, you know, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to. And what I actually was doing was setting the standard so high that the right person could show up. Yeah. And I could see them really clearly. And so the irony of all this was, was that, you know, so I'd gone through this phase and I, I had, you know, done all these lists and I was doing all my self-work and I was like, okay, I'm going to delete all my dating apps. And so this like OG Tinder days of <laughs> you had to like go through, you couldn't just delete, like if you deleted the app, you weren't deleting your profile. So you had to yeah. go through I met you know? my husband on OkCupid, so like, yes, you know I totally game. remember you gotta, that. You got to like delete every photo. You got to delete every. So yeah. I'm doing that, literally in the process of deleting it, and a match pops up, and and it's like, you know, this person obviously didn't understand that you were supposed to be a jerk on Twitter or Tinder because he was like, you know, do you want to go for a date? And I was really sick, and so I kind of I didn't brush him off, but I was like, I'm not, I'm sick, and I like don't want to make it this is a first impression. Mm-hmm. And, and so he scheduled a date for the next week, um, January 2nd. And lo and behold, the, the, that's the person who's now my husband. And it was really interesting because that process of, of, of setting the new standards for myself, which had to start with, with the work on myself and saying, this is what I deserve. This is what I'm worth. This yeah. is, this is, you know, the bar allowed somebody to come through and then I could hold him up and I did I let you know I went on a couple dates with the guy and I held up that list and I was like holy shit like yeah well you start understanding what you can ask for yeah and like you're allowed to have those things it's not totally out of line to make a list where you're like this is never gonna happen because Mm -hmm. I went through the same experience where I was like oh it's like that just is not out there for me. But wouldn't that be great? But then when you actually are mindful about it and you you state what you need, it becomes such a different experience. So when you were going through this process of therapy and self-care and now you're meeting this new guy, you had sworn off of dating, you had a credit score up there. <laughs> like, how how did that start changing your life? Because I'm curious how you got to a place where you started your own business. Mm. So around this time, um, so two things kind of unfolded at once. I started dating this new person and I, I, and I switched companies. So I, I had op- a couple of different opportunities, but I was evaluating like, where am I going to go next? And so I went to a Fortune 500, a very large corporate tech environment. And I was doing that and our relationship unfolded in lockstep with my career, which was really, really important because my husband, well, at the time he's my boyfriend, but has always been a really big ally and advocate for my career. And that was something that was very important to me um, because I knew that I had these ambitions inside me. And I had dated a couple people in the past who were very uh, insecure or, or, you know, because of uh, my job at the time required a lot of traveling and a lot of mm-hmm. attending industry events and conferences. And so that was a trigger for them. Or, And so I was like, I just don't have energy to deal with that. I need somebody who gets this, who is not jealous or insecure, who just supports this full stop. And so, you know, we started building this relationship right as I was starting to really rise in my, my career. And so together, 
you know, we started making strategic decisions about like, where would we live? Okay. You know, and, and then, you know, about a year into our relationship, I had an opportunity to join a new company and it was something that we sat down together and we really evaluated what would it mean for us? Cause I had allowed him to become a family with my son and I. And so yeah. we started making all these decisions together. And, um, at that point where we moved in together again, another big life change, I started yeah. this new job at a much smaller company. And I, it was an Australian tech startup that had been trying to make their way into the American market. And so they were really trying to build a team and a presence in the US. And it was such an exciting opportunity for me. It was, you know, as the director of, of the North American operation, I was leading all the business development and I was really building a company in a sense. They had the company in, in Australia, but I was building the company in America. I was setting up the bank accounts. I was building out the team. I was making sure we had somebody to do the taxes. I was doing all these things, but it was a pretty safe playground to do it in because it wasn't my dollars per se, and I was getting a paycheck. Um, but I was learning what it took to really build a business and to right. build a great team. And so I did that for about three and a half years. I grew the company to, we were doing about 1.4 million in recurring revenue by the time I left. Um, and so again, you know, that box of like, I can do this was yeah. checked. I, I knew what it took. And there's something about being inside of somebody else's company, particularly I think a successful startup where you see and you admire the people around you. And you're also like, I could do this, you know, right. I can do this. And I think that that's one of these key differentiators for me and my story is that I've been, been surrounded by people and in particular women who have built businesses. And so my experiences and the, and, and the women I've seen around me have shown me that I'm capable of doing that too. And I think that a lot of women question their ability of like, could I even start a company? What happens if it fails? And I'm just here to tell you, like, I've seen so many tech bros, like build companies that just smash and burn and they just get right back up and like, go ask for more yeah. funding, you know, That's a, that element of fear that I think mm -hmm. is so much ingrained in every decision. I mean, I can't imagine how fearful you must have been when making all of these decisions throughout your life, but you make them and you mm -hmm. tackle them. So I think there's, there is that element of fear which I love that your company is called Fearless in Training. Um, so what was that moment like when you said, oh yeah, I could do this and you actually did it? So, so it's interesting. It's like the, there's two types of people in business. There's like the people who were like, I'm starting a business and that was their, their, their vision long-term. Um, and then there's people who it's like the business kind of called them into being. Yeah. And I, I'm the second type. So I was like, doing this whole corporate career. I was making six figures. I was, you know, the, doing all these very like accolade worthy things. Um, and I was kind of stagnating. Like I had kind of grown as much as I could inside of the company. And for me, like growth is a huge part of my path. And so I just as an outside activity, because I was being asked to started consulting here and there with friends who were starting companies and they were facing exactly what you described fear and paralysis around, you know, do I even have the abilities? Am I worthy of having my own company? Will I be able to get money? Like, I don't know anything about business. And so they were reaching out to me because they knew that I, the line of work I was in, they knew I knew a lot about tech. They knew, you know, I could help them. So here and there I was, you know, helping a friend start a website or helping her build a logo mm -hmm. or helping her do all these little things. And 
every single day I would go back into my corporate job and I would think about like, what if I could do that all day long? Like, what if I could all day just work with women business owners and help them bring their ideas to life and tell them that they're capable and tell them that they're worried and be that force that, that, you know, like how cool would that be if I could look back and see like, like, yeah, that company exists because I was there standing, standing behind them going like, you can freaking do this. (laughs) And so I, that just, that seed was, was planted, you know, and it took a while because I think there was a lot of fear for me of leaving that safety and security of, of, you know, here I was at, at 27 making, you know, $120,000 a year. And we, you know, we're going to buy our first house and do all these things. And I, I reached a point where it was, um, it was, it was this realization of like, I can't afford to stay here. Like I'm stagnating if I stay here. And it was also a realization that, um, for me, you know, entrepreneurship is really about something more than just starting a company and and growing it and making a bunch of money. It's about equality to me. And I could see, particularly working in the world of tech, how many people still didn't have a seat at the table. And I could see that I had a skill set that could help get other people in that room that desperately needed to be there. And so I, was at a conference um, and and I was there with my whole team and it was this big kind of p- penultimate moment. We'd done a really big strategic partnership and and I just, the, the heart decision was made. And I was like, you know, this is the last time I'll represent the company at an industry event like this. And it was it was really hard and painful because when you've dedicated so much of your life to, to somebody else's dream, you know, you feel really invested in it. Yeah. But you, you also know like you've got to go, you've got to, when you've got to walk. And so I made the decision that day. And then, you know, I sat, I talked with my family and then I, you know, I started making a plan for this new vision for the company and, and really the way I was going to build it and, um, sat down with the founders and, you know, lucky for me, they were all super graceful and encouraging of me. And, um, so I, so I packed up and I, and I focused full time on my brand. So, yeah. So three things. I love that this is kind of a reflection on like that squirrely energy you were talking about. Like you hit your, your top and now, okay, I have to do something. I have to go and do this. And, um, really love that tie in of your personality. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious, what did you say to those founders when you were leaving? Cause I think there are a lot of women who listen to this show who are in similar positions who are making that transition. So what did you say? Um, and then what did your planning in those initial days look like for you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I've, I, as I mentioned, I've been working on a book and so I've been pulling out all of my old notebooks. Oh yeah. It's really wild to see because I found things like the practice of the speech I was going to give to them <laughs> to let wow. them know I was yeah. resigning or those first sketches of, okay, if I can get this many clients at this month or month, that would be this much in revenue. And that would be, you know, where I needed to be. And so I just started with sketching it out, sketching it out. What would it feel like to have that conversation? And then when it came time to sit down, you know, there were a few pillars I had to hit. I had to be incredibly grateful. I mean, they had taken a chance on me when I was young and I was, you know, they, they 
didn't know me and I was in a totally different market and all these things, but they had seen something in me and I had to be grateful for that. You know, I wouldn't have been able to go out and start my own company if I hadn't had that opportunity. So I started with that. Um, and then I started with reflecting back to them, like what I had learned from the experience. And then I, I told them my plan. I told them, I was like, you know, this is my vision now. And, and I think for them, because they were entrepreneurs in their own right, but they, but they had respect for that because they remembered that moment in themselves when they had said, and now I'm going to go start something. And so, you know, they, they recognized that in me. They encouraged it in me. I shared with them that I, I don't think I would have had the ability to see my capabilities in doing that if it wasn't for witnessing them right. certain scale a company. Um, and then, you know, the, the planning process, it, it had to start well in advance. You know, um, I, you know, I work and I coach with women, for example, who are like you described, like they're moving out of corporate into doing their own gig. And you have to create an exit strategy. You have to create a plan of like, where do I need to get at in the business to be able to flourish and not just be like, ah. And so it was a slow phase out and phase in. So I had set, you know, some really serious understanding of like, what would my revenue need to look like? Because I am the primary breadwinner in my family. And so there wasn't like, this grace period of like, I can just make no money and, and yeah. just be fine, you know, cause we just bought our first house. We had a, had a little baby. So there was a lot of planning that had to go into place. And then beyond just the financial component, I had to go out and get clients. Like I had to get really clear as to like, what is my highest value offering? Like, what yeah. is the thing that I, I can, you know, I can sell and people will know, Oh yeah, I know Madeline. And like, she's, this is going to be great. And then I had to go out to my network. And I think that's the best thing I had in my corner is I had really focused my career on building really great relationships. And so I felt like I could go out to people in my community and say, this is what I'm going to be doing. Like, are you a fit? Do you know somebody who's a fit? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really vulnerable thing to do. But because I already had those relationships with people, they were super supportive of me and made introductions and allowed me to, to, to really grow the business right out the gate. Um, and, and it, it, you know, it's always got an element of trust. There's always an element of fear too, yeah. uh, and all of that, but, but it was, it was exciting, you know, too, to, to step out on, on your own. It's always exciting. And, and I think the biggest thing for me was also the freedom that came with it. You know, the ability to wake up every day and say, no, I get to decide what I'm doing today. I get to decide how successful my business is going to be. And it's based off of how I show up and the work I put in and, um, that for me is really freeing. Yeah, I love this. And I also love that you weren't in a bad place at work when you decided to make this decision. You just came to this place where, like you said, your business found you and this just appeared in your life. And so I actually wanted to read a bit of The Soul of Money because you recommended it yes. in that breakout room that I think um, really pertains to some of the things that you you're saying and, and specifically around your purpose mm -hmm. and when you are finding your purpose um, in giving to other women and um, wanting to have that drive you even more and that becoming a driving force. So in this um, particular section, she says, wealth shows up in the action of sharing and giving, allocating and distributing, nourishing and watering the projects, people, and purpose that we believe in and care about with the resources that flow to us and through us. 
So how did that start showing up in your life? Mm. How did that wealth start showing up in your life when you started embracing um, your purpose and, and having that energy put towards those areas? So, you know, I, I think that when it really started to show up was when I realized that the purpose of my business was so much bigger than me. So I think a lot of times when we start companies, we're just like, am I going to feed the family? Am I going to end up in a van down the, by the river kind of thing? Like I, I always joke about this, but it's, it's really true. And I, I, I struggled up for a while with what I call entrepreneurial anxiety, which was for me, you know, it looks different for each of us, but there was a pretty overwhelming pressure to, I got to make this business successful right out the gate because, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're relying on me for income. Um, so I felt that pressure really, really heavily. And so my, my, my mindset was very limited. It was like, I just got to get this much. I just got to get to this much. I just got to get to this much. And I was just really seeing myself as, as, as the only operator inside the business. And so it was like, I was working nonstop. I was working on weekends. I was not spending enough time with my family. And I hadn't opened my blinders to see that like, I need to hire other people to help here um, because I was spending a lot of my time on administrative things that were not leading to the growth in my business. Mm -hmm. And I had, I'm trying to remember how it all unfolded, but I joined a networking community for women business owners. And during that process, I met a woman who specialized in offering outsourced admin um, work. And so I connected with her and I started really small, but I was like, I've got this sense that if I just, if I just hire her to help me with some of these administrative tasks, I'll be able to take on more clients. That was the only vision I had. And that was the first time that my business transactions hadn't just been flowing money into me, but, but I mean, granted I had been, you know, bought software and stuff like that, but like with a person to person transaction, I had not flowed resources through the business to me into the pocket of another human being. Mm -hmm. And the second I started doing that, my business completely changed because mm -hmm. suddenly the business was not about me. It was about me being a conduit for something much, much bigger. And so what I started to realize is that my biggest strength is building a team and building a group of people who can show up and step into their highest calling work and be able to attract even more people to our business. And yeah. so what unfolded and the way that wealth really started to flow is me recognizing that my greatest strengths are setting a vision and putting a team around it and then being able to run in that direction and then say, and the next step is this and the next step is this and the next step is this. And so over the course of the following year, I grew my team and now we're a team of eight. And it's been one of the most beautiful and fruitful things in my life to not just take home my paycheck, but to see that, that my work is paying for other people's well-being. Yeah. And that is like, that's when everything changes. And I see that a lot. Um, you know, and it's no fault. Some of us do aspire to be solopreneurs, but I think that sometimes we limit ourselves in business because we think we have to do it all. We think we have to be these one woman shows and really by starting to call in other people who can help and lean into their areas of expertise, we can grow our businesses exponentially and then be able to earn more in the process. Yeah. I mean, so much of what you're talking about, and I say this literally every episode, is female allyship mm -hmm. and being that ally for people to change their lives, grow their lives, support you know people 
monetarily, which I think is a huge thing to do as well in life in general. Like you want to support businesses that you believe in, but I love that you're, you're saying this change came through, um, being an ally to other people and having that flow through your business. Um, I wanted to ask you if you could share um, that moment that you shared in that roundtable with us around the change in perspective of your um, of of the amount of money that you were uh, asking mm. for people and how that changed for you and in your mindset. Um, I know we're wrapping up soon, but I wanted to just kind of touch on that moment yeah. because I think it's very powerful and that other people should hear about it. Thank you for, for allowing me to speak about this because it's a huge, it's a cornerstone piece of my work and, and, and what that work is called is called pricing for prosperity. And so, as you mentioned earlier, you know, it's about a shift in your money mindset and the, the prosperous money mindset is one where we make that shift from not about I'm making enough to get by, but instead I'm making enough to give back. And so suddenly what that does is instead of us being you know, this person who's just trying to get enough to hold on to, to make the minimum to, to sustain ourselves, we're thinking about this open armed approach of being able to be this conduit, of being able to be this, this source that then flows through to other people. And so for me, you know, that's what changed in that moment where suddenly I was paying a VA and then I was hiring team members is I could see the fact that my you know, my business could be something so much bigger than just meeting my own needs. And I think for a lot of us women, you know, we're told to just kind of take the bare minimum. And so that wiring is really firm of like, I just got to take, you know, what I can get, I got to get the, you know, whatever I can. Um, and so we're, we're trapped in a state of scarcity. And, and in that same way that you have to set the vision of what you deserve, you've got to also set that, that vision of, this could be bigger than me. And so for me, you know, I talk to clients all the time that giving back could be, you know, this could be giving back to a charitable cause. This could have be, for me, it's a big thing of like having time to give back, having time to serve on boards, having time to mentor people. Um, but whatever give back looks like, shaping your business around a vision that's bigger than just getting by is this really critical step to being able to grow into a state where you can actually earn as much as you you really yeah. aspire to. And you had somebody tell you, you can charge, you should be charging more. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that was my eye opener, right? Like, so I, I talking back to this element of female allyship, I was going after this first big proposal in my mind, big proposal. And I had, you know, signed, sealed and deliver. I was so proud of it. And I had no idea what other consultants were charging. Mm-hmm. And you know, luckily for me, again, I built, you know, my first clients off of relationships I had. And this woman did a really important act, which was that she just sent back my proposal. And to that email, she attached a copy of of another consultant's proposal because she, you know, was working in a corporate environment. They had to get, you know, two different, different, you know, folks just to do a comparative element. And I was charging, I think it was like one twelfth of what this other woman, like my proposal was like a thousand dollars a month. And, and for the scope of what I was going to do, this other consultant was charging like 12 grand. And it was actually, I mean, granted my proposal was over the course of six months, but I, I was 
nowhere near where my value had been. Mm -hmm. And she didn't say anything on the email. She didn't, she just sent those two side by side. Open my eyes. Like cartoon eyes. (laughs) I know. Right. And then, and then I had to have it, have a sit with myself. And then I started to do my homework and then I started to price myself and my value accordingly. And again, it was like these little steps that allowed me to see that if I was going to show up and it's such a phenomenal difference. Like when you're pricing things to think about like, not how much money I'm going to take home, but like, what am I paying Alina and what am I paying Brianna and what am I paying my team out of that contract now? Because suddenly I'm not going to shortchange Alina. I'm not going to shortchange Brianna. I know what they're worth. I know what I said I'd pay them. So I've got to show up and charge what we're worth. Um, But that experience was really, really helpful in establishing for me what I was worth because I knew I was just as qualified, if not more than that other consultant. Yeah. What a great practice. What advice can you give women who are in the same situation um, who need to start practicing or who, who are figuring out what they're worth? Oh, so many pieces. Um, I'm going to give three. One, surround yourself with other women that are doing this work. Um, it's, you know, I think that we as women mirror each other. And, you know, if you're around, you know, a group of friends, maybe they're your longtime friends, but like if you're around folks who are not on a path of personal development or who are using really diminishing language about themselves or are very critical of themselves or don't, you know, are not empowered or not building you or themselves up, it's very easy to fall into the patterning of the people around us. So that whole mentality of like your vibe attracts your tribe, look at the people around you, whether that's virtual communities that you're hanging out in or the people you're actually friends with, just, just check yourself and make sure that you're enforcing yourself with a community of women that are, that are all about uplifting. The second is invest in yourself. This is something that I see women struggle with all the time. We are so good at like buying our best girlfriend a birthday present and, you know, paying for our kids to get new clothes or, but, you know, investing in all these other things. But when it comes time to pay for that coaching or to, you know, invest in that course or go get that therapy, we hesitate because it's spending money on ourselves and really seeing that these kinds of investments are what differentiates your ability to move ahead in life. And like you investing for me, like for example, investing in a business coach, I watched my revenue double after that because I suddenly had the confidence to charge more. And so those pieces are really important to invest in yourself. And then the third piece is to really, really focus on building strong relationships. So much of my success in business has been focusing on cultivating these really great relationships with the people around me so that when I need something or when I want feedback or when I, you know, want to go out and maybe make a foray into working in a new industry or anything like that, I have these relationships that are rock solid where that can allow me to step into those new places and new ways of being. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I feel like I could talk to you for hours (laughs) (laughs) and I would love to have you back sometime to just keep diving deeper into all of this and, and especially, you know, more of your programming too. Mm -hmm. Where can people find you if they'd like to talk to you more and learn more about your services and your company? So there's, there's a couple places to find me. If you're, you're out on social media you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Madeline K Pratt, K for my middle name, Kiana. And then um, LinkedIn, you can just search for me, Madeline Pratt. 
Um, if you are wanting to check out our company, we're fearlessintraining.com. And when you're on our website, there's all like the hyperlinks to all the social media profiles and things like that. Perfect. Madeline, thank you so much for being here and taking the time to share your story and more about your company um, and your journey. I think a lot of people can relate to what you've been through and your strength and that guidance and that vision that you've always had. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Christina. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. Um, And please reach out to Madeline to learn more about her. And if you want to listen to us, you can find us on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Um, And you can follow us on Instagram at Growing Woman Pod. And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks, everyone.